Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We're getting a big warning today about a major change for the economy and financial markets. Our guest today makes the case for a coming secular bear market. I'm Andy Gersher, and this is GAINS. Let's bring on one of our go-tos, Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at macrotides.com out of San Diego. Jim, always great to have you on the GAINS podcast. It's always uh, great to join you, Andy. And before we get started here, a little love for the GAINS listener. There's an opportunity. Take Jim up on this. Yeah, I'll send uh, uh, the faithful uh, the November macro tides. And this one I'm going to promote a little bit, Andy, because I take a look at the long-term trends in Treasury bond prices. And so from 1945 to 1981, we know that Treasury bond yields went up. In other words, a secular bear market from 1981 until 2021. Secular bull market as bond yields continued to decline uh, you know, for four years. That trend has been broken, and the implication is that we have now begun a new secular bear market in Treasury bonds, which has, I think, enormous implications for equity prices. As we know, the stock market bottomed in 1982, right after bond yields topped in 1981, and the decline in interest rates over that 40-year period was very supportive of equity prices. So anyway, this is kind of an in-depth dive in terms of looking at these longer-term trends. And I think uh, listeners will find it informative and maybe generate some thinking. Because what it implies, Andy, is that the traditional 60-40 allocation, you know, 60% stocks, 40% bonds, is going to struggle mightily uh, in coming years because of that dynamic and work. So all they have to do is send me an email, Jim Welsh Macro at Gmail, and reference the Gaines podcast, and I will be happy to send that out. All right, and we'll get into some of that here in a minute. But, you know, it's been quite the comeback for stocks as the markets have surged as of late. And so that's where I want to start uh, today, Jim, is get your take on where we've been this recent upswing and where you see things going. Okay. Well, back October 27th and October 30th, which were dates of macro tides issues, 
Uh, I was looking for a rally in the S&P from just above 4,100 to about 4,350. And that was predicated, Andy, on Treasury yields topping out. So I just did kind of a tease in terms of, hey, we, get, we just started a potentially multi-decade bear market in Treasury bonds. But the pattern uh, in Treasury bonds since their peak in March of 2020 shows five waves down. What that implies is we're, uh, you know, I think beginning a significant rally uh, that yields will come down. And as we saw last week, as yields started to come down, uh, the stock market, which was very oversold, uh, which was one of the reasons why I thought we were going to see a decent rally, uh, you know, responded to the decline in Treasury yields. Now, did I think the S&P would go from a little bit over 4,100 to 4,355 uh, in five days? Absolutely not. Um, but sometimes events, you know, kind of intercede. And the other dynamic that was at play in both Treasury bonds and uh, the stock market was short covering. Uh, negative sentiment had built up in both markets. Both markets were deeply oversold. And that's a condition ripe so that when you get a little bit of a positive news, it initially spurs some short covering. And uh, then you get a little bit better news, or at least the market perceives it as such, and then you get some actual buying. And that's why I think we saw such a big move in both Treasury bonds and equity prices, because all the pieces fell into place last week. So, Jim, what you were saying earlier, I sense you're going to tell us not to pop the champagne here, and I want you to explain why. Well, very simply, I think Wall Street has concluded or believes that just because the Federal Reserve is most likely done in terms of raising the funds rate, uh, although, you know, it must be noted that Powell indicated that the bias is for one additional rate hike. Um, but I think Wall Street concluded that they're done. But uh, to me, the, the problem with the next part is that Wall Street believes that the Fed being done means that all the prior rate hikes aren't going to really matter much in terms of their impact on the economy. And I, I just think that, that there's a disconnect there. And that, uh, as we saw last week, most of the data that came in showed continuing trends of slowing. In other words, job growth, 150,000. Well, you can go back 15, 18 months, and you can see that there's been this steady zigzag lower. ISM services uh, dropped to under 52%. Also, for more than a year, it's been trending lower. And that's significant, Andy, because services represent about 80% of GDP. The ISM manufacturing number actually was negative, but that only you know, encompasses maybe 12% of GDP. The point being is that the trends that have been uh, in place now for more than a year of showing slower and slower growth, to me, it seems like Wall Street doesn't think that those trends are going to continue continue or they're or they're actually uh maybe even just saying uh, i i think a lot of them think they're going to reverse course here the fed and a lot quicker than i think uh, a lot of investors realize so sometimes they read bad news is good good news is bad you know what i'm saying so yeah, yeah. that no no you're right that's kind of what's behind that i believe if you look at the fed funds futures uh they're showing that the wall street believes the fed will start cutting rates next may 
So to your point, uh, you know, what the Fed has been telling everyone is higher for longer. And the only thing that would materially change that outlook is if the economy either accelerates and then the Fed has said, hey, if we don't see the economy and GDP slowing, Powell has repeatedly said he wants to see GDP under 2%. That's its long-term growth potential. And he believes that it needs to slow under 2% so that uh, the inflationary pressures really have the opportunity to kind of recede. So unless they see that, that slowdown developing, the flip side is what else would cause the Fed to react more quickly in terms of lowering rates? Well, that would be the economy slowing much more than what Wall Street expects at this point in time. So to me, it's totally unrealistic. Uh, Powell has said it would be uh, you know, a big mistake for them to ease prematurely. They don't want to repeat the mistakes of the 1970s, and one of them was – uh, you know, easing policy uh, too quickly and before inflation had a chance to really be wrung out of the economy. So Wall Street wants to have it both ways at this point in time. You know, oh, the Fed's going to stop rates. So that means the 500 basis point increase uh, doesn't really matter. And oh, by the way, uh, they're going to start cutting uh, starting next May. And meanwhile, this comes with a just a pile of debt and that's a factor here, and I want you to touch on yeah. that. How how does the debt, um, the growing debt, factor into this as well? It's uh, well, well, interesting, it's and and yeah. and both from um, from the government, of course, but yes. then we're also seeing it in credit cards and on the consumer front. Hit both. Yep. Yeah. Well, initially we'll talk about the demand side in the economy, which is consumers. Credit card rates are above, uh, I think, twenty two percent, the highest ever. If you look at the increase in credit card debt, I think over the last 12 months is about 17%, which is near like one of the highest uh, year-over-year increases in the last 25, 30 years. Um, so you have this combination of a lot more credit card debt. Interest rates are much, much higher. Interest rates on car loans obviously make a lot of cars unaffordable and so forth. Um, housing, obviously, with mortgage rates. Uh, yeah, it's no problem for somebody who has a 3.5% mortgage. They're not moving anytime soon. But for those who want to buy a house, the level of mortgage rates is a great inhibitor. So companies, small businesses, tighter lending standards, also their rates, the average small businesses are paying 10% for credit. So all those things start to come to bear, uh, I think, uh, in the fourth quarter and as we get into the first half of next year. In terms of the uh, government debt, Andy, uh, one of the charts I show in the November macro tides, and I think I alluded to it, is a chart of Treasury bond prices since no March of 2020. They've completed five down. That suggests that there's going to be a fairly significant rally in Treasury bond prices that will bring interest rates down. I think potentially the 10-year yield, by the time we get towards the middle of next year, could be down below 3.5%. So what would cause that? Well, what would cause that is a more pronounced slowing than Wall Street is expecting. So, again, uh, I think for consumers and businesses, the level of interest rates, high levels of debt are starting to really weigh on uh, cash flows. So that means people cut back on spending. And in terms of the government, uh, I think an economic slowdown slash recession will create the normal 
reactive function of, okay, I'm a pension fund, I'm an insurance company, I need to buy treasury bonds to lock in these relatively high yields because it looks like the economy is going to slow and at some point in time the Fed is going to be cutting rates next year. Um, I just think what Wall Street thinks, the combination of, oh, we don't have to worry about a recession, but still they're going to be cutting rates, that just doesn't add up. The idea of a recession taking hold between now and the first uh, half of next year, causing Treasury yields to come down, to me that makes sense. And the technical charts of Treasury bonds uh, kind of confirm that or suggest that that is a likely outcome. All right, we're going to take a quick break uh, when we get back. We'll hit up Jim with a technical look at stocks going forward. Hey, be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I've been told that's podcast gold. Totally appreciate the solid there. And as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gains episode drops. We drop Gains episodes on Wednesday mornings. We'll be right back with Jim after the break. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Back with Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at MacroTides.com out of San Diego. Um, Jim, we wanted to, uh, you know, you kind of gave us the setup. Now we want to take a look at levels. Um, you know, I bring you on uh, because you're a market technician. So let's break down. And the levels that we're talking about here are the S&P 500. But let's take a technical look at the markets, Jim. Yes. So in terms of the S&P 500, uh, Andy, what we know is that the S&P back in uh, uh, mid-October had a short-term peak at 4393. The 618 retracement 
of the decline from the high in late July at 46.07 and the low on October 27th at 41.04 is about 44.15. So we're coming up to what should be considered natural levels of resistance. And my take here, Andy, is I think the rally we've seen over the last week is the first leg of a bigger rally so that we get up near the 4,400 area, look for a pullback. Uh, my assumption here, somewhere between 38% and 50% of the rally. So let's say the S&P gets up to 4,404. It will have rallied uh, 300 points. A 50% retracement would be 150 points. Drop it back down towards 4,250. And a 382 obviously would be more like 4,285, I believe. After that, I think we're going to see another leg higher, and the odds it will be somewhat equal to this first leg. So, again, I'll just use the easiest numbers and say, all right, it will be 300 points. That implies a rally if the S&P pulls back to 4,250 to something approaching 4,550. Um, and, and so that's what I think is coming in coming weeks. Now, again, my supposition is the economy is going to slow materially in the next three to six months. And I think that is going to cause the equity market a problem because the equity market has been feeding off better than expected economic data. Wall Street believes earnings are going to be up 12% next year. So if we get something that threatens that premise, I think uh, we'll see selling happen. And my guess is the S&P has the potential of not only dropping below the, the low we saw in the last uh, couple of weeks at 4,104, I think there's a potential that it drops all the way down to 3,500 if I'm right and we do see a recession developing uh, in the first half of next year. How likely do you see a recession happening the first half of next year? I mean, is this pretty much uh, uh, looks to, to be so or is there any potential change of course? I mean, you sound yeah. like... Uh, you're a little little dire here, and it seems like things aren't going to be uh, too rosy here. I mean, is, yeah. is that kind of a, a, a foregone conclusion at this point? Well, again, for most uh, economists on Wall Street, uh, they don't believe a recession is happening. Now, we have to step back for a second. Remember a year ago uh, in the fall of last year, the idea was we are in, already in a recession. And then when that didn't develop, well, it's going to happen in the first part of 2023. My view was no recession last year, no recession in the first half of this year. Now we have Wall Street going 180 degrees the other side because the recession hasn't taken place yet. They're of the view that it's not going to happen. And to me, the traditional signs of uh, warning of a recession, things like the yield curve, big increase in lending standards, big increase in interest rates, all those things take time to wear down the economy, more so in this post-pandemic cycle, Andy, because of all the excess savings that were built up in 2020 and 2021. If you look at uh, uh, spending, monthly spending by consumers has exceeded uh, their savings rate since the end of 2021. So we know savings are being drawn down. So to me, it's the collection of all these traditional recession signals uh, and the wearing down of excess savings that suggests we're going to see a material slowdown in the first half of next year. And typically, you know, as you know, what happens is things come out of the woodwork. 
Uh, the other issue, commercial real estate, it's going to be a much bigger problem next year. Yeah, I, I, that's um, it's interesting you said that because that's the one thing, and I have countless conversations about this, how it, it, it seems like the empty cities and the mm-hmm. commercial real estate problem that is happening all over the country, especially in these big cities. And you know, I'm, yeah. I'm in downtown yeah. Chicago. I mean, look at LaSalle Street as a shell of what it used to be. Yeah. Uh, we have not seen that factored into the equation, or it just doesn't feel like that. And uh, you say that's going to start uh, hitting the road, so to speak. Well, what happens is as loans come due, and I think there's about a trillion dollars worth of commercial real estate loans coming due over the next 12 to 18 months. And if you're an owner of an office building and it's 40% vacant, and yet your insurance costs in the last five years have gone up by 40%, which is pretty much the standard, uh, the incentive to somehow work out a deal with a bank is reduced. And from the bank's point of view, they're, you know, they're looking at a property that used to have a value of X, and now it's worth maybe 60% of that X. Um, so I, that's when the rubber meets the road is when these loans come due and either the current landlord walks away or the bank say, nah, we're not going to lend you the money, uh, or we're going to lend it partially to you. In other words, it's an event that starts to happen. And I think for the office buildings, as you cite in many major cities, that's what's going to happen. Apartments are another issue, huge amount of supply coming on in the apartment business. Uh, sector, uh, but things like warehouses uh, and some other aspects of the commercial real estate are fine. It, the, the real weakness is in office buildings and secondarily in apartments. But I think the office building commercial real estate is what's going to be the biggest problem next year. So, you know, when you go into a slowdown, weak hands get weak and then they can't, they can't make it. And that's when typically things show up that you can't be anticipated of additional uh, credit stresses that result in a deeper slowing in the economy. And, you know, again, that's what's happened in almost every single recession going back to the last 50, 60 years. And we've just had the biggest increase in the funds rate in 40 years. And lending standards have been tightened more in the last uh, 18 months than any other time in the last 40 years. So not to think that there aren't going to be <laughs> some skeletons that kind of make uh, their appearance before next Halloween, I think is naive. So, there, so for me, the probability of recession is north of 50%. All right. And then uh, the inverted yield curve has kind of been indicating that. Um, and a lot of people, when it initially inverted, people are like, oh, recession. Sometimes that takes a, a while to play out, explain. Well, historically, the average is 19 months from the time the yield curve inverts until when a recession has begun. Uh, Obviously, there's been times when it's like 10 months, and there's been times when it's 25 months, 28 months. The average is 19 months. And I have thought that that's why as we got into the fourth quarter of this year, it will be at the, the, the average length of time. So these are the things that have kind of gotten discredited, Andy, because so many people made such a big deal last year. But, oh, we got the inverted yield curve. Oh, my God, we're going into recession. Um, And they were just way premature. And it's very difficult as human beings to be wrong. Then, you know, be wrong bad enough that you change your opinion. And then to change your opinion another time, you know, is really, really difficult. 
And I think that's where a lot of people on Wall Street are kind of stuck. They were in the recession camp last year. Now they've jumped into the no recession camp. And I think some of the traditional indicators, as you mentioned, like the yield curve, lending standards, it typically takes 13 months for a big increase in lending standards to really start to bite the economy. When did lending standards really get ramped up? In the fourth quarter of last year. You take 13 months from that, and here we are. You know, So these are the traditional signs that I think got discredited because so many people prematurely jumped on the recession bandwagon. And for one reason, the first two quarters of 2022 were negative. Historically, two consecutive quarters of negative GDP have been associated with recession. And people took that at face value. As I wrote about last summer uh, of 2022, in the first half of last year, you had 350,000 jobs added every single month on average. Uh, gross domestic income was positive, offsetting the negative vibe from uh, GDP. So uh, there were really good reasons and things like 19 months for the lead time on the inverted D curve to dismiss those recession calls. You know, and I did. I said, we're not having a recession last year or in the first half of this year. And it's just ironic that now we have most people on Wall Street uh, kind of in the, of the mind that we're not going to have a recession or a market slowdown. So I think at a minimum, they'll have one quarter of negative GDP in the first half of next year. And if that happens, Andy, you know what, what happens is that, oh, wait, it's slowing more than we anticipated. Oh, wait, maybe we will have a recession. And just that topic being raised will cause selling in the equity market because, wait a second, we thought earnings were going to be about 12%. And we've got multiples at such and such that don't warrant earnings being down maybe 10 to 15% as opposed to being up 12 So. That's the stuff that I think is going to unfold in the first half of next year. So the point being is I think the S&P has the potential in coming weeks to rally above 4,500 and maybe even a touch higher, you know, closer to 4,600. It doesn't matter the absolute level. If it's an ABC up, that implies a counter trend move, and I think it will be followed by a very significant decline uh, early next year. This, so, this is all coming with the backdrop of some pretty big geopolitical events as well. We have two wars going on, one obviously Ukraine and Russia, and then all the latest here in the Middle East. How does that play into that? Does that factor into the equation at all? Well, in the near term, the way it plays into uh, the equation is if uh, Hezbollah begins to attack Israel from the north, and, um, you know, and then also brings the U.S. in in a more direct and active role and potentially Iran gets into the, uh, the picture. That would be a huge escalation of the war. So if that happens, I don't think the stock market will like that, irrespective of whatever the level is that the S&P is, is at. The second thing, which goes back to one of the original questions you asked about debt. Well, in the 1960s, the U.S. started running huge deficits, and they were referred to as guns and butter, guns related to the Vietnam War spending and butter uh, related to the uh, initiation of the great society. So the U.S. just ran a $1.7 trillion deficit in the year-ending government year ending at September 30th. 
it's the largest deficit there has ever been outside of a recession. So we're in a period of economic growth, and yet $1.7 trillion worth of deficit spending? What happens if we actually do go into a recession? All of a sudden, spending will be $3 trillion, deficit $3.5 trillion. So that's why I think potentially we'll see a significant decline in Treasury yields when it becomes more and more obvious that we're having a recession or going into one. And then at some point in time, Andy, yields will reverse, I think, and go back up and go to a higher highs than what we see have seen so far this year as the amount of supply pretty much just dwarfs uh, the level of demand because from the demand from overseas has been declining for a number of years um, and just the absolute amount of money that would be required uh, for the Treasury to, to borrow, I think, can just overwhelm uh, the Treasury market. So I think we're in for a lot of volatility in coming years. Uh, and the traditional buy and hold approach, I think, is going to be severely tra- challenged because that volatility is going to encompass not only the bond market, but also obviously the stock market. So, um, well, and, and I guess that brings me to what's finally what's the advice for the individual investor? You you know, uh, you're, you're not painting a pretty picture here. Yeah. What's the gains listener do right here? Actionable advice, Jim. Well, I think you have to change. Uh, if you're a buy and hold investor traditionally, I think you have to seriously consider. And I think if you get the November macro tides issue, um, and I have another special report called the coming secular bear market, which kind of even takes a bigger, more encompassing view. Uh, if you want those reports, I'll send them to you. Just Jim Welsh macro at Gmail. Then I think one has to get to a point where you say, you know what? It isn't business as usual. I need to include a tactical approach into my asset allocation. So X percent toward bonds, X percent toward stocks, and X percent toward uh, a tactical approach that will attempt to bob and weave as we see these big swings. I would urge everyone to go look at a chart of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which is readily available, or the S&P 500 from 1966 to 1982 you will see enormous swings up and down. And yet the Dow was 1,066, and by 1982 was at 780. So 16 years went by, Andy, and really no net gain. And that you know, also underscores the you know, inflation was much higher. So real adjusted returns were really awful. And this, you're I not talking about like a short-term. Term. You're not talking about a short-term no. situation here. You're talking about a fundamental change in the market, it sounds like, that could last for years. Yeah, it does. And this piece I mentioned, the coming secular bear market, looks at things like demographics, because demographics have a huge influence on GDP growth, which is determined in part by productivity, as well as labor market growth. In other words, how many bodies are entering the labor market? Well, we know over the last 15 years, birth rates in the U.S. have dropped couple of years ago was the lowest since 1937. And since we know what the birth rate has been the last 15 years, Andy, we know how many bodies are going to be entering the labor market 15, 20 years from now. And so the Congressional Budget Office expects labor market growth to only add 0.3% to annual GDP. So you've got all this debt 
interest rates higher because of everything else that's going on. And really, I think GDP growth will be probably closer to 1.5% per year over the next decade. Uh, And the stock market is sporting a very high valuation. That doesn't compute. And if you look at what happened to valuations in 1966, uh, the average P.E. was north of 20, and by 1982, it was under 8. So think about that. A company that made a dollar in 1966, the stock sold for 22 bucks, and that same company making a dollar sold for 8 bucks in 1982. And that truly is a dire warning, and you're saying there's going to be a secular bear market coming. Well, hey, big thanks to Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at macrotides.com in San Diego. And then Jim, as we wrap up again, remind the gains listener an opportunity to get a little more detail on the stuff that we talked about today. Yep, Jim Welsh macro at Gmail. And thanks for being a faithful listener uh, to Andy's uh, gains podcast. All right, big thanks to Jim Welsh. Hey, be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I've been told that's podcast gold. Totally appreciate the solid there. And as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gains episode drops. We drop Gains episodes on Wednesday, and I look forward to seeing you then. A News Radio WBBM podcast powered by Odyssey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.